Hello, welcome and thank you very much for coming to this session. Um, first of all, I'm going to introduce you to our panel. I'm really delighted that on the end here we have Vinny Patel, who not only is he a BAFTA Breakthrough Brit, but this year he is a BAFTA nominee. So in this year's BAFTA TV Awards, he's up for an award for Murdered by My Father. Next, we have um, Helen Veal, who is Chief Executive of... Um, I'm trying to outline. outline, no, creative director, creative director of Outline Productions, who make things like Super Commuters and Great British Garden. Then we've got Stephanie Clond, who's an assistant producer, currently working on 24 Hours in A&E. And then we've got Daniel Morrissey, who is head of talent and entertainment at music and events at the BBC. Now, the format of the session will be that we'll have some questions generally. We'll do a bit of a chat about our experiences and things that we can share with you. And then we want to make this session as interactive as possible. So hopefully you've got some questions that you want to address to the panel. But I'm going to begin by asking everybody just to tell them a bit about what they do now. So I'm going to start off with you, Vinny, if that's OK. I still write things, yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, so, I started off primarily writing theatre, and um, the last year and a half I've mostly spent it writing television, which has been quite a jump, uh, but I'm also writing my first feature film as well, and um, my first play that actually has more than two people in it, which is quite nice as well. Fabulous. Helen? Uh, so, I'm the creative director of an indie called Outline. Uh, we're a factual entertainment company, so never anything cool with a script like him, but uh, and not really particularly extremely serious uh, film, filmic documentaries, but quite a lot of the stuff in the middle with formats, uh, with presenters, with talent. Um, uh, we primarily make for Channel 4 and the BBC with occasional forays to Sky and uh, American channels. And as the creative director of the business, I'm primarily responsible for running our, the development side of what we do, running our development team, coming up with new content, trying to persuade broadcasters to give us the money to make it. Um, and that can be an enjoyable and immensely infuriating role. Okay, great. And Stephanie? Um, so I'm a freelance assistant producer. I work across um, factual documentaries and factual entertainment programmes. I uh, work for various channels, I've worked for the BBC, Sky One, uh, currently Channel 4 uh, for 24 hours in a &E. So I'm the one kind of sat in the gallery looking at all the various screens that are kind of about 111 cameras across um, an emergency department in Tooting. And I kind of get to see into a kind of world that I had no idea about before I started working on it, um, which I'm loving. And Daniel? So I'm head of talent for BBC Entertainment, Music and Events. So entertainment, that's big shiny uh, floor shows like Strictly Come Dancing, Let It Shine, uh, shows like Top Gear, uh, charity shows, Children in Need and Sport Relief, through to things like Dragon's Den, Mastermind, Question of Sport. Uh, music is from the big events like Glastonbury, The Proms, to concerts like Adele, uh, shows like Later with Jules Holland, and events are ceremonial, so things like the state opening of Parliament, uh, Troop in the Colour, Remembrance Sunday, that sort of thing. Talent managers are the people um, who are responsible for finding the people that work on our shows and, and bring them in, get them on board, negotiate their rates and salaries and contract them. And entertainment is part of BBC Studios, which is newly commercial. So we're just entering the commercial world and the, the race is on to get our first commission outside of the BBC. 
Really, as a talent manager, you're responsible for hiring a lot of people, aren't you? So mm -hmm. what are the key attributes you look for when you, you're recruiting people who are breaking into the industry? I think at that early stage, it's very much about resilience and perseverance. Um, it's about creativity and looking for storytelling ability. Um, but I think that the, the biggest attribute that we're looking for is the ability to work with people, to work in a team. If you think about it, it's, a, it's primarily a freelance career. So you're constantly being thrown into new production teams with people you probably don't know and haven't met before. So that ability to quickly gel and to work as a team, I think, is one of the most important attributes at that, at that, that early stage. But how do people illustrate that? Because if, you, if you're sending a sort of speculative letter, how do you illustrate that you're resilient or that you can work as part of a team? How can you display those attributes? Um, I guess just literally state those attributes, but uh, <laughs> find good examples that show that, you, that you've done that. So if you haven't yet got production experience, but maybe you've got experience in work experience or college or through some you know, interests of your own, try and find things that will demonstrate and get that across. Okay. As a sort of freelancer AP, what are the skills that people demand of you to get your work? Yeah. I think that um, working in production and on location or casting or, or whatever job you end up doing in TV, you just have to be so organised. I think kind of misconception of te telly is kind of, it's fun, you know, it can be fun, but it's not kind of casual. There's so many kind of legal requirements working on productions. You have to work to deadlines and just to be meticulous and organised, I think is really important um, because things can happen quickly and, you know, you need to be on top of things and be a kind of safe pair of hands on a production. Um, also, I think kind of, yeah, determination, having a, a thick skin is something that you kind of need to learn. Um, you know, when you're casting, you're trying to find people to be on a TV show or you're trying to set something up or even if you're just trying to get a job, people are going to say no to you all the time and you have to learn to kind of not take things personally and kind of learn from that and just keep, um, you know, moving forward. Ability to take criticism. Yes, exactly. What about you, Helen, when you're looking for people that you would employ at Outline? Um, can I talk about the things that I'm not looking for? Or that, um, <laughs> okay. If, if, that um, if people write to me, and this sounds really anal and uptight, but if there are spelling mistakes in the letter, it just absolutely drives me mental. Mm. Particularly, we've all got spell check these days, or we've all got a friend. Don't send people letters that have got spelling mistakes in them, because if I'm going to hire you as a researcher or as an AP, I need to trust you to do things properly and diligently. And if you can't be bothered to spell check a letter or a CV, honestly, that makes me crazy. And the other thing that makes me crazy is when I get a letter that goes, Dear Abigail, I've always wanted to work in drama production. And I just go, for crying out loud, you know, if you really want to work in a particular genre of television, they're not all the same. Decide what you want to do. Decide who you're writing to and why you're writing to them. Write to them about... You, you write to me about wanting to work in factual entertainment or popular factual telly. Don't write to me and say you've always longed for a career in drama, because I'm going to think you're a bloody idiot. And, but also, anybody who you're writing to about a career in drama is going to see through you if your interest in drama is so superficial that you don't actually know which is the drama production company and which isn't. So... I think the thing about television is it's very broad and there will be, for each of you, with each of your creative still skill sets and cast of mind, something click that's absolutely right for you and it's going to be much easier to make that breakthrough if you have a think about it 
and, and do your work around it. Do a bit of research. Have a think about the programmes that you enjoy. Do some research about the companies that literally make the programmes that you enjoy and get in touch with them about, uh, uh, about that specific kind of programme because it really, you know, it, it just seems a bit like I won't trust you to do your job in telly if what you can't do is literally research the name of the person that you're writing to and the kind of work that they may potentially be able to offer you. And Vinny, you're a writer, so what sort of attributes do you think you need to make it as a writer in this industry? Um, writing skills? Writing yeah. skills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funnily enough, like, um, it'll, it'll sound like mad to say it, but like, I don't think it's so much about being talented. Like, if, you know, obviously to a certain amount, yes, but like... This is a guy who's got a BAFTA nomination, by the way. Like, <laughs> but like, but like, I'll okay, so example, like, when I did, I did a master's in writing, and I definitely wasn't the best writer on my course by long, but I wanted it more than a lot of people, I think, so I worked really hard and pushed myself to always... Every new project I did was asking myself, how is this going to improve my skill set as a writer? What was all those, especially early on? And I think you can get really, you'll find that thing that you're really good at and like stick to it. Like whether it's like, oh, I'm just really good at writing dialogues, so I'll just write reams and reams of shit that isn't actually, you know, good dramatically. And actually, I think early on it is about identifying where you, where you're good at, but where you're not good at, and learning and really pushing yourself to improve that as a writer. And then, in terms of industry stuff, it is like everything from said here. It is about it is about diligence. It is about resilience. It is about being able to take criticism. Um, and I mean, I started off in theatre, and the switch between that and television is the pace, the change of pace is dramatic. Like you have to be able to deliver um, better, faster, uh, but it pays better as well. So you know, there are, there, there is a, there's a reason why they ask that of you, but. Um, and I feel massively hypocritical saying that, considering I'm behind on two deadlines. But, um, <laughs> but, but, it, but, but yeah, but it is. But I mean, and if you are going to struggle, it's always good about the worst thing. I think is when people think of writers as being, you know, quite flouncy and up in the air, and so you can sort of get away with lots of stuff. It's like you have to treat work, especially if you're going to be in television, as you are a professional, just like being an AP, just like being a producer. So you have to be on that level of skills because you know they're going to throw you know, billions possibly of pounds at the thing that you write, so you better damn well make it worth it. I'm going to talk a bit about breaking in and sort of continuing with you, Vinny. When, that, yeah. when I sort of read your bio, it goes sort of, you know, MA in screenwriting, play, TV. Is yeah. it as easy as that for everybody? Uh, no. No. I think, I think it, like, um, and I think the way I got in was very lucky, and I think it's, I don't necessarily think what I did is a very good model because it, it becomes really dispiriting if you think, if I don't do it like that, then... I'm screwed. I was just saying, um, someone came to my MA and uh, they were like someone who's, who's a very good writer and they said, oh yeah, you know, I just uh, ran into the artistic director of the National and then they put on my play. I was like, great, good for you. Like, I can't, <laughs> there's nothing from that I can learn from. Um, but it's, <laughs> it, it is, a, so I was very, so I got murdered by my father off the back of a play that I wrote and that was my first um, piece I'd written on attachment to another theatre company. And I think that's very unusual, especially having a one-off drama. More likely you'll find yourself writing on other people's programs or um, going through shadow schemes to do... I don't know how it works for BBC, like Casualty and whatnot anymore, but I think they have something similar still. And you'll become a much better writer if you go that route, actually, than jump... Like, one of the struggles I've had this last couple of years, actually, is going, oh, actually, I need to... I'm learning a lot from the people who I'm writing under and going, actually, they've developed all those skills from years and years and years and writing on continuing drama, writing for other people's series. And 
being able to be consistent and good is a very tricky thing and it's very emotionally demanding as well. So I wouldn't say that if you're not jumping straight from this to this to this, that you're not really doing it. It's actually every time you're writing something, you're giving yourself better resilience, you're learning new things, and you'll need that later down the line, and it's better to do work now than go a bit crazy later on. So uh, Helen, you're one of the few female owners of companies in the UK. So how did you get to where you are today? Uh, we were sort of jo uh, joking about at the beginning that I felt that my story of breaking into television would just be like, how did I get into television? I went on a steam train because it was such a long time ago <laughs> and I'm not really sure that, uh, that it, it, it's, it's that relevant these days. Uh, I didn't do any formal training in film or TV. I did a history degree and I, uh, I'm from Dagenham in Essex and I went to a comprehensive school in Essex and I, didn't, I never met anybody who worked in telly. But while I was at university, I met somebody <coughs> whose dad worked in telly, and it suddenly the penny dropped with me that people worked in telly, that telly wasn't just a thing that sort of came out at you in your living room. So I wrote to a lot of production companies saying I was interested in working in telly, and somebody gave me a job as a researcher. It was, I had a history degree, and it was a vaguely historical series, and I was a starting industry, and I was going to be incredibly cheap because I hadn't done any... Uh, <laughs> other work before and I'm, I'm not sure that that route would be open these days. I think that there are a lot more hurdles uh, before you could just basically I walked out of university and walked into a job in TV about a week later just because I'd written to people. So that's sort of, I don't think that's uh, a likely route mm. but that once then I was a freelancer and what you have to, have to do is <coughs> create a CV that doesn't have spelling mistakes in it, write to people who could plausibly give you the sort of job that you're writing to them about. And the way you got the information in the olden days was a thing called the Pact Directory. That was a book that had all the names of all the production companies in it. But now it's that thing called the internet that has all the names of the production companies in it. Uh, writing to people. Um, and I always think one of the best ways to get a job is to do a bloody good job of the thing that you're currently doing because... Um, having good references, having people in the industry who recall having enjoyed working with you is a really, really helpful way. I mean, I'm sure you must find this. It's a very, very helpful way. I don't think I've ever been particularly strategic about uh, in 10 years' time I would like to be doing X, and so therefore I must step, take step Y and Z right now. Um, and how did I end up owning an indie? Do you know what? I started one up. That it's, you know, there isn't a barrier to entry. If I'd wanted to become somebody who owned a plumbing company, I'd have had to buy a van and a load of tools and get Corgi registered to look <laughs> at boilers. If you want to run a production company, set one up. I wouldn't necessarily advise it, because <laughs> uh, A, there's a lot of them out there and it's incredibly competitive, and that probably some of the things that if you want to be... Uh, uh, if, you've got, if you've got a real passion that you want to make particular programmes, you know, many people are essentially authors and they want to use TV as their medium. You don't need to set up a production company to do that, and it may, may well distract you, all the stupid damn things you have to do about VAT and HR and paying people's pensions and whatnot, is a distraction from essentially being an author filmmaker. Uh, so, uh, but if you really, really do want to have a production company, I would invest now in getting professional help, and maybe you might decide it wasn't for you. Why did you want to set up a production company then? Uh, Oh, do you know what? The reason I started a production company, partly I met somebody else who vaguely had interest in it. But I had this sort of experience of work where 
I was at a sort of serious producer level, and I was having an issue with my work, and I went to my line manager, who uh, came to me with the wonderful phrase, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions, which I thought, bollocks to that. If I have to bring you solutions, I've tried all the solutions that I've got, and if I have to bring you solutions, why do you earn more money than me? It seems <laughs> somewhat inappropriate. So at that point, I thought, if I have to be in a universe where the buck stops with me, I would like a little bit more control over the nature of that universe. Yeah. Um, and so now, when I'm not being the creative director of the business, I also exec the, some of the projects that we have on the slate at any one time. And partly, because I'm, I'm from an Irish Catholic background, so I bring with me my cultural load of guilt. But as an exec, I basically think if anything goes wrong in a project, it is my fault. Why is it my fault? Because I didn't spot that there was a problem, because I hired the wrong person, or I hired the right person and I didn't give them the right support, or I set them a task in a way that they couldn't fully understand. And so I, I never ever think the right answer is, your problem, mate, don't come to me till you've fixed it. Because if you're going to be the top of that decision-making mm -hmm. process, top of that creative tree, what goes along with that is the responsibility for nurturing and supporting absolutely everybody else mm -hmm. uh, in the production. So that's one of the things, that, one of the reasons I wanted to set up my own company was to set up a company that sort of had that ethos in it about seeing who was doing what, facilitating everybody being the best version of themselves and doing their thing, hopefully enjoying working with us rather than feeling a bit sort of got at, which can be an experience if you're managed in a way that doesn't. Um, Everyone's going to want to come and work for you now, including myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it. I'd love it. <laughs> Stephanie, can you tell me about how you got in? I got in. Um, so I did a degree in journalism, which I don't think is something you need at all. I found out much later. Um, it's all about kind of, you know, what experience you have. And when I finished my degree, it was a very academic degree. I had no idea how to be a journalist or how to get a job in telly. And it was a kind of tough time economically um, during the recession. So it was... Um, quite competitive at that time. Um, I did bits and bobs at work experience, but I did find it quite difficult to break in um, from like a small town up north. Didn't know anyone in telly at that time. And, um, you know, worried if it was, you know, wondered if it was ever going to happen for me. Um, luckily, I got on this amazing scheme um, called The Network, which is part of the um, Edinburgh Television Festival. And they take on about 60 people per year, uh, people who are new entrants, who want to break into TV, maybe don't have any contacts, but can kind of display how kind of passionate they are and creative and, you know, how doing the scheme is going to help them. And you're kind of whisked away for four, week, uh, four days, sorry, um, to the festival where you got to do workshops with people like Charlie Brooker and Channel 4 News and ITV Development and kind of figured out, you know, what it is to work in telly. And from that, um, over the next three or four years, I think there's paid placements that you can um, get on. And um, I managed to get on an eight-month internship in London at a company called RDF, uh, who make shows like The Secret Millionaire and Shipwrecked and now The Secret Life of Four-Year-Olds. Was that a paid internship? Yeah, yeah. so that was paid. So I'd done kind of bits of unpaid work experience here and there. Um, but obviously, when you're kind of starting out, you need money and you can't move down to London if you're not from London and work for free. Or I couldn't afford that anywhere. I needed to kind of pay my bills. So um, I got on a kind of 
runner salary. So it was six months of being a runner and you kind of work in the office, delivering posts and making teas and all the kind of things you have to do at first. Um, but also when productions came up, you got to go on production, on location and kind of see what it's like to work, you know, on different shows. And, you know, they trained you up on camera for um, a couple of days. And also then you were, had a two-month placement as a junior researcher or whatever kind of line of work you wanted to go in. So I was very lucky to get on that scheme. Uh, to be honest, I don't think that's the same for everyone. But, you know, there are these schemes across the industry that kind of help, um, you know, new people get in. And then once I'd done that, I'd kind of, you know, use the time to kind of make contacts, you know, build up my CV. And then I was kind of in there and kind of working as a freelancer. So then you're kind of in the big wide world of being a freelancer, moving from company to company. Um, so I kind of worked on other shows like um, Undercover Boss, worked on Secret Millionaire, and but always wanted to do more kind of documentaries. Um, so kind of, you know, on these fact tent programs, built the skills that I needed to work on more observational documentaries. And yeah, kind of eventually worked my way to what I'm doing now. So, I'm so the network was key. So can you tell us, where will people here find out about the network? How's the best way to find out and apply for that? Yeah, so if you kind of look at the Edinburgh Television Festival, um, each year around this time, actually. It's just closed. It's just closed. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <But> next year. <laughs> this time next year. This time next year. Yeah, um, but also as well, leading up to their applications, they have kind of events. Um, and you know other ways to kind of meet people, and obviously events like this, and getting to meet talent managers. Um, you know that's an amazing way to kind of, you know, find out about these schemes as well. Um, but yeah, it was key. And once you've done it, you know, for the next few years, there's kind of paid work placements that you kind of you've got opportunities to apply for that only you can apply for if you've done this scheme. So Daniel, you're like a picker because you get to pick who works on the BBC programmes, don't you? Really. So how did you get to your position of a head picker? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I always wanted to be a journalist, so I, I started out um, as a, a youngster writing and doing work experience in the local newspaper and all that sort of thing. So I always knew I wanted to work in the in the media. So I went to university in Bournemouth. I did a degree in journalism and television production. It was a very hands-on, practical degree, so it was great. It was a really good time. And at the end of the second year, we had to go and do a long placement uh, across the summer. And I, like most people on the course, wanted to do it in television. I wanted to work on a big show. Um, and they told us to lower our expectations. There were too many people wanting to do the same thing. They said, you won't all get into one of those. So this really provoked me and really annoyed me. So I went and picked up the phone. I found a contact on Casualty, the, the uh, drama series. I phoned Casualty. I got through to a producer. Uh, I sold myself to this producer and said, I really want to come and work. And he offered me a role. And I went there for the whole summer and he made me a trainee floor manager, gave me a car, um, sent me out to, no, unfortunately not to keep. Um, so, you know, sent me off to go and pick up actors, um, to work on the set. It was just an absolute baptism in fire. And in those days, it was before the working time directive and we were working 17 hour days, seven days a week. It was a complete baptism in fire. But it meant that when I left university, I had real, real experience that I could talk about and put on my CV. And it was just, it was just a fantastic way in. 
One of the things that always strikes me is that we know that there are hundreds of jobs in television that are filled every day, but they're never advertised. So how do you, how do you, know, how do you know who to write to to give you a job? How do you find that information out? Well, the key, the, there's a number of different key people. So there's the talent managers, for starters. So BBC, ITV, many of the indies have got people that are called talent managers. Uh, they might be called talent executives, or um, they might have similar job titles, but talent manager is the sort of generic title. So they tend to be the people that crew the shows. Other key people are production managers. They will be crewing a lot of the, the more technical and craft roles, and of course, writing to producers directly, writing to the contacts you can find. But it's, as, as you were saying earlier, it's about being targeted doing some research and finding the people in the sorts of companies or on the sorts of shows that are of interest to you. Um, you're probably all familiar with the Facebook groups. There's lots of Facebook groups, like people that know people in TV, and there's lots of similar groups. And Facebook has ended up being the sort of main place where um, TV production jobs are advertised. There's also the unit list which is its own website, but it's also on Facebook and Twitter. So those groups are where talent managers, production managers, producers will put out their call-outs saying, looking for a self-shooting AP with medical experience who can work on 24 hours in a and &E, that sort of thing. So looking out for those adverts on those, on those groups, and there's hundreds of adverts every day. Those call-outs are just there all the time. But then finding your talent managers is really key. But again, it's about being very targeted. So I work in entertainment, music, and events. I used to work in comedy. So there's no point in writing to me about drama, because I don't cover drama, and I don't need to hear from drama people. So it's about doing a bit of research, check people out on LinkedIn or Google their names, and make sure that you're spelling their names correctly. <laughs> that you're, you're not spelling things wrong, but really targeting the, the right people. And go to them with a hook. Just saying, hi, here's my CV, is really boring. And people like me get at least 150 CVs a month sent to me speculatively. Um, so finding a hook, explaining why, uh, you know, why your experience is relevant, um, showing your interest in, so whoever you're writing to, talk about their shows and show your interest in their shows and um, talk about why your experience is, is relevant. So if you, were, if you were writing for, looking for a role in Strictly Come Dancing, then you want to show that you're really interested in that show. Maybe you've got an interest in dance, entertainment, music, getting that stuff across to people. Okay. And um, so interested in the role of mentors, Vinny, you're part of the Breakthrough Brit programme, and so you have a more formal mentoring process. How's that working for you? Um, I haven't actually met any of mine yet. <laughs> um, but in terms of it, but the, it's only because they're all very good and very busy. Um, but um, it was useful for, I've had like mentors in the past as well, and I like, like, I think the weird thing about being a writer is, it's like so much more like, you know, you could put on a suit and go into a job, whereas like you'll be like hiding in your pants in a room somewhere, right, for 10 <laughs> hours a day. And it's like, how do you talk to someone about what that's like on an emotional level? And that's kind of what um, the mentoring process <laughs> I've, asked, I've asked people about is like, how do you survive doing this job? And that's, you know, I've um, I had uh, Dennis Killey as one of my mentors for something I've done before, and it was really nice to ask him not, you know, read my play and tell me what you think, although he did do that, and that was very nice. It was, 
well, you know, and he, he told me what he said. It's like, oh, you're going to like write really shit plays. Like, you won't want to, but you will. And just hearing that from someone who's doing really well is like, I think, really gratifying as a writer because I think the thing it's hardest to let yourself be when you're starting out, especially, is really bad um, because you think if I'm not brilliant straight away, I'm in trouble. Um, but more broadly, what I asked with the Breakthrough Brits um, scheme is to talk to people who work across television, theatre, and film because they are very different mediums and negotiating them, especially very rapidly and flipping between them, uh, can be quite tricky. So I'm looking forward to finding out how people do that and don't have a mental breakdown. Okay. What about the role of any, anyone else got anything to add on the role of mentors? Is finding a mentor early in your career useful? Well, it's about finding someone that's been there and, and done it before you. So it's someone that can that can give you the, the benefit of their experience and give you ideas, be a sounding board, might be able to give you contacts. Um, you know, not necessarily someone that's going to find you work or a job, but just someone that, you know, who's, who's, be, who's slightly ahead of yourself. Yeah. What about you, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I've had a formal mentor as well um, through another scheme, through uh, the Wanted to Watch scheme, and I thought that was really useful um, in kind of, yeah, making new contacts and just having kind of someone who has um, more of a kind of bird's eye view of the industry and helping you kind of navigate that. But usually it's just someone who, yeah, maybe a series producer or a producer director who's worked with you, who kind of has taken an interest in you and your career. And it's just good to be nurtured by someone, I suppose, and kind of, you know, have them look out for you a little bit and kind of give you a bit of advice. Um, so, yeah, I do think it's a really beneficial thing. Helen? Yeah, I think you can sort of... If you watch TV about TV, everybody working in TV is a terrible asshole. <laughs> uh, uh, but I've worked in TV a long time, and I've only met a really, really, really small handful of terrible assholes, and I've mostly met people who I consider to be nice, uh, who understand how difficult it is, who themselves enjoy what they do and enjoy talking to people about what they do. I've never had a, a, a formal mentor, but it's really great to talk to other people in the industry about what they do, the challenges they face, what resources they bring to bear when they face those challenges. So I love gossiping these days with other people who run indies or run development teams, just to know, <laughs> oh, it's not only me who feels, you know, it's really tough, or it's not only me who uh, worries about X or Y. So I think there are lots of, there are formal mentoring schemes out there, but if you don't get on one of those or don't fancy that sort of thing, just asking people, could you spare me the time for a chat about this? Or asking them a specific question so that they don't, so that the opportunity for a chat doesn't sound like creepy or whatever, I don't know. But just uh, asking in the right way, politely, for advice or guidance about things. By and large, most people in the industry, mm. I think, would respond positively to, positively to that. And also, I do think it's very difficult. The, the breaking in moment is very difficult, but the yourself doing a rather good job and being a rather nice person while you are doing something is the very best way to form that first link in your chain of connections. Mm. And then that person has got links in their chain. So... Um, I would just like something you mentioned there about how you talk, to, you gossip with other heads mm. of indies. Like I think that's a sort of thing that sort of gets missed, especially what feels like in a very competitive field is that sort of the best people who will give you a lot of emotional stability are people who are trying to do the same thing as you are, mm. and making sure you you like you do talk to your friends and like especially like I mean it's very specifically in writing. Like I still send my work to look at in the first instance the exact same people I did like 
six, seven years ago, because you built up a people you can trust who will listen to your first world problems about trying to get into television. <laughs> you know, like, it, it, like, and it sounds nuts, but it actually, it just in keeping yourself on the level, I think it is very, very useful to have those people and like, just not neglect that as well. One of the big challenges in this industry is it's sort of freelance, isn't it? It's not a job for life, so you don't get in and go, and then just relax for the next 20 years. You sort of have to, every three months, you've got this constant battle where you've got to go and find a new job all the time. And I'm just interested how you manage that. I'm just thinking for you, Steph, particularly, who's right out there doing that, any tips you might want to share with the audience? Um, yeah, you do have to kind of stay on top of things because when you're on a production, things are so hectic and you kind of feel like, you know, you can't do anything else besides that production, but also you have to be always kind of thinking your next step and kind of trying to line up work so you don't have kind of a month off by accident and you've got all your bills to pay and you get stressed. Um, so kind of, you know, when you're at a company, you know, keeping in touch with the talent manager, um, also um, the most important way to get another job is do an amazing job on the job that you're on because most of my jobs have come from either someone I've worked with before or someone who knows someone I've worked with before who's kind of passed on my name because they think I've done a good job and um, you know that is the kind of thing that you should not take your eye off is kind of working really hard on what you're doing. Um, I think but I would also say, one of, I think one of the things I think looks most difficult about the freelance world is working incredibly hard on the project that you do to keep, to keep doing, looking for the next job, and some people can sort of roll from thing to thing, mm -hmm. and I think also having a discipline to say, and now it is time to have a holiday, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. to take some yeah. time yeah. off. Yeah. Uh, as a freelance worker, you are entitled to holiday pay, and if, often the productions, as you know, are so yeah. busy, you don't get to have that holiday during the production, but you're entitled to holiday pay, take a holiday at the yeah. end, because you're, you've got really long time for a long career to develop. Yeah. And, you can uh, burn out. You yeah. can burn out, and having some balance in your life, having holidays, you know, that thing when things get busy on production, cancelling everybody, cancelling yeah. every friend, <laughs> never seeing anybody. Yeah. It's just a really good idea to, to, to try to be happy in your life and have some balance and some, sure. some yeah. rest <laughs> as well. Yeah, because um, otherwise it's not a sustainable career. No. So yeah, and also, yeah, just, planning ahead, saving up a bit of money as well, so you can take the brakes off, <coughs> off and, and yeah, I think that's important. And I, I would say, um, because it is predominantly freelance and short-term contract, treat yourself as a business from the outset. So you've got to think about marketing yourself, so that's networking, your CV, going to events, um, developing your contacts, building your reputation, because it is all about reputation and, and, and uh, word of mouth. Um, it's about training, so keeping your skills fresh and up to date. And, you know, whilst you don't have to specialise or particularly focus on a particular area, um, if you are, then it's about building the CV to, to match that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, also, I think it's tempting sometimes to kind of just take any job because you want to kind of get paid. But if you kind of do, if you can, you know, try and take jobs where you're going to get something new out of it. So each job, you know, I try and think what extra is this going to put on my CV? What kind of skills is this going to develop? Because you should always be kind of trying to improve to kind of get to where you want to go to next. That's a really difficult thing to balance, but yeah, isn't sometimes it? Because you can't you do that because you need keep to keep the lights on versus yeah, exactly. it's quite difficult, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Same running an in indie, you yeah. know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Sometimes you just 
can't, nobody turns down work. Yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> it's, it's really hard. I mean, you know, it's partly about finding the thing that you like about it. If, like, there's, if there's absolutely nothing that you like about that thing, it's really difficult, but often I think you can find something in that that speaks to you. Um, I just to say, in particular, in regards to writing, um, the freelancing is mostly found about buying yourself space and time, and the best way to focus that um, to schedule yourself around that is to really understand what it is that you actually want to do or write next. Like, what's that project you're really burning to make happen? Because, like, it's funny. I, like, and I sort of mentor, which I've met like a couple of writers, and um, the first answer was like, "What's that thing? If you had all the money in the world, like, what's the thing you really want? Because you've got to be working towards that very, very slowly, slowly, and making time for friends and making time for holiday. But also, it's very easy, especially if you're just starting out. Once you get into the sort of the, the treadmill. You're like, oh, this is great. I'm constantly working because it feels validating because it's such an insecure life. But actually, you need to know that thing that you're trying to head for eventually and just keep an eye on it and not neglect that um, because otherwise, yeah, you'll get, you'll, you know, you'll get 10 years down the line and go, what happened to that thing I really wanted to write? And that's actually, weirdly, all the stuff I've gone, actually, I know exactly why I want to do that project has been the thing that has got me another job because yeah. you, yeah. like, you can tell in the writing, I think. I mean, just to go back to some sort of writers, how do you ever get anyone to read anything? Because we can all sit at home writing, <laughs> can't we? But how do you get to that stage where someone in the industry reads something? How do you do that? Um, so like, I entered absolutely every single competition scheme I could find for like two years. <laughs> and I, like, so you, like, you force people to people who have... Uh, I was a reader at a theatre as well, and um, you know, 90% of the stuff that came in was absolutely terrible. But we read all of it and had arguments about it. So I think, um, yeah, like, so theatre is actually quite easy to get people to read things. Uh, television, I'm not quite sure. Like I, but I think it is more the, you say, you find someone who's worked on something that you've loved or really liked, and go, hey, I've got something that I think you might be interested in, you, rather than saying, just spamming people, it's like, this is something that I think you might enjoy. And then I think they are much more likely to read it. And, you know, that's what happened to me. Like, I found some people who I thought... I'd just say, look at the BBC Writers Room website. Yeah. So, bbc.co.uk slash writers room. Um, so, you can send in speculative scripts or a few pages from scripts and get notes. But also, the website has got lots of details of competitions and yeah. events and masterclasses and tips. And it's a brilliant resource if you're a writer. Deadlines that that website gives you are like very useful for writers. Like I got um, my first entrance into the BBC was the writer's room thing. And then from that, um, the people who spread around, my, who then wanted to read my further work, was through that thing. So if you prove yourself in a little way, then they're more likely to see something bigger. In terms of the skills you need, I mean, when I first started in television, similar sort of time to Helen, steam train time, um, is that it was a really big thing that you were getting researchers to shoot. And now it seems that people need so many more <laughs> skills. How multi-skilled do you need to be to break into the industry? I'm going to ask you that, Daniel. Um, I think it's still about shooting. I think that is the, that is the primary, absolutely the primary skill. So as an AP, nearly most APs need to self-shoot. Not so much edit, it's more about self-shooting. So, and good shooting skills as well. There's a lot of people that say they can shoot and they're, and they're not very good. So really developing your shooting skills from the, the, from the outset and, and trying to get yourself up to a good level is really important. So as I say, most AP jobs come with, with self-shooting. Researchers need self-shooting. If you work in development, then if you can self-shoot, you can make your own tasters. I think that's probably the most important thing to try and 
get hold of a camera and start using it and, and learn to do that. If you can do rough edits, then, then great. But I think it's the self-shooting is, is, the, is the real key thing. And of course, you know, you need, you know, all shows come with social media and all those other sorts of skills. But I think self-shooting would be the main thing to really focus on in terms of those technical skills. What do you, what do you find, Helen? Would you agree? Uh, yeah, in terms of technical skills, self-shooting is great. Uh, in development, we, we also do a lot of sales tapes, sizzles to try and get a concept over. So some very basic edit skills are good. But for me, the absolute core of television is writing. Um, and uh, writing and researching. I mean, you just can't do anything if you haven't got the facts right. And you, and you don't know the difference between facts and facts or factoids. Uh, the internet is a real false friend for that because fake, all fake news. <laughs> fake news, all information comes onto your desk at the click of a button. So having the skills, the journalistic skills of a researcher to really decide, is this story true? Is this person's story true? Uh, that's incredibly important and being able to write, whether or not that's writing a treatment that catches the tone of the programme and uses language in an enticing sort of salesmanship way, or whether that's writing a script where you've got to use the minimum of words, really pare it down, whether it's writing briefing notes so that the person rung above you in the decision-making process really understands the argument that you're putting across about why person X is the person that you want to cast or why this is the story absolutely at the, at the heart of it. Writing skills are so incredibly important. Yeah. And um, because I came in on a steam train, uh, I can't really shoot. I could. I mean, you know, if aliens landed out there, I could get my phone and i catch it. But um, I am not self-shooting, mm. and I know and I hire an awful lot of people who are not shooters, and I hire them because they're basically journalists mm. who can write. Mm. And I don't do current affairs-y programmes, journalists in that sense of on the front line reporting from a war zone, but basically all factual television is essentially about storytelling and making sure that story is the most interesting and fresh and truthful uh, story that you can tell. So there's always room in... in in the team, yeah. the people who are journalistically driven and accurate and, and write real well. Great. Stephanie, you want anything to add about that? Um, yeah, in addition to obviously yeah, kind of shooting and editing, I think a lot of shows that I've worked on have involved a lot of casting. Mm -hmm. So either you're just um, doing casting, mm -hmm. so for any documentary, any yeah. show, you need to just find people to be on that show. Uh, or you might be on location, you've got to find people more on the ground. But like learning how to kind of um, just where do you find people? So a lot of, um, you know, kind of more senior people now don't do much stuff on social media. Now they're kind of wanting to find people using different methods, using Instagram, using Twitter, Facebook. You know, if you're looking for young people, kind of finding those kind of avenues and also just not being afraid to pick up the phone. Mm. Um, just doing yeah. lots of phone bashing because a lot of people just want to send emails and kind of not have to kind of, you know, confront anyone, um, but just kind of picking people up, kind of being persistent and trying to track these stories down and people down and kind of learning to be more confident to try and kind of find who you're looking for yeah. and learning what a good character is, like watching lots of telly and kind of figuring out what makes a good story on telly, who's a good character, who are people going to be engaged by and learning how to spot that person on the phone or on Skype or, or whatever. And that needs yeah, the ability... Talking on the phone is absolutely essential. If you've got a cast team, any production, and you walk through the office and it's all... You just think, oh, my God, we're in trouble here. You have to be able to talk to people. I mean, there are some roles in telly that you can do if you aren't a great talker and you don't enjoy talking to people, but not many. You've got to enjoy talking to people, be interested in other people and want yeah. to find out about them, and the way to do that is to talk to them 
either on the phone or via Skype, or you're going to meet them on a shoot. You're going to have to bloody well talk to them then. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you don't enjoy talking to people, listening to what they say and thinking about it, become a graphic designer or something. <laughs> and I would just add the, the ability to go outside of your own networks, because mm -hmm. you want to find yeah. you know, diverse, different mm. stories and things that, that are, are not going to be naturally in your own world. Do you want to have anything to start with me? Yeah, no, it's just like, it's, um, it's funny when I like, talk to uh, lots of writers and I read lots of scripts, um, people think because the thing, they think that because something they've written is interesting to them, that it's naturally interesting to other people. And the thing you said there about being able to write, the thing that really struck me is the way you get people interested in your work is know what it is about it that appeals to other people who aren't you. Mm -hmm. If someone didn't give a shit about the thing you're writing about, what's the angle that can get people? Because like, mostly, like, you know, even just like, you know, theatre commissions or TV, you know, just people where the, the thing you always hear is like, oh, we just want a paragraph about this thing, yeah. which is absolute bullshit. But, but like within that, there is a truth of going, I want to hear very briefly what it is that will make me invest two years of my life in, in this story. And you need to not go, oh, you know, it's, uh, it's about my breakup with my girlfriend over the last... Yeah. Like, great, you know, wonderful, but like, why should I care? You know, why should I care? And it's like a harsh question, but it is... You know, a TV audience is even harsher. They can flick. They can do absolutely anything else. Why should they care? And you need to know that when you're like trying to sell that story. I think. Good. I'm going to throw it open to questions now from the audience. Has anyone got a question? Oh, I didn't even finish the word question. Lots. <laughs> <laughs> so there's two there. Two people here. So we can take this lady here first, and then there's two, someone over there. We'll come to you after. Yeah, we'll go. So yes. Hi. Thanks. Hi. I'm sure this has been really uh, beneficial to everybody. So thanks for putting this class on. Um, I'm a historian, and um, I've uh, just finished a book on um, Hitler's Island War. And it's about a place that nobody's heard of, and it's a part of of, um, uh, of the war that nothing, nobody's ever heard of this battle. Um, how, trying to get the ideas, you, uh, it's probably for, for you, Vinnie, actually, it's trying to get the ideas through to people. Who do we actually go to? Because even with an agent, very often, um, and I know how TV works, that it's very much, even with production companies, they want things in-house. BBC particularly, they want the ideas to come from in-house as well. Um, how do you actually get um, past all these barriers that are up there to get your ideas, which are published... Um, yeah, I mean, Into I, telly. I mean, uh, so um, I was writing a historical thing briefly, and it was a thing about a man called Subhash Chandra Bose, who was um, part of the Indian uh, independence movement, but he was like effectively a firebrand nationalist who ended up uh, working with Hitler and the Japanese to bring a, a nationalist army into the. And it was like something I hadn't necessarily seen anywhere else before. And it was that, that I think, you know, that angle of like, this is. This is something you don't know about this thing that apparently everyone knows. I think it's quite a good hook, but I think it is being able to distill that into a document of like a page or two and then finding people who've done stuff a bit like that. Like it is about not just targeting channels, it is targeting particular um, indies and producers who are interested in that work. I mean, I actually think you guys would probably know more, a little bit more about that, but that is how I would approach it. It's like, who do I think would find this the most fascinating uh, thing in the world? Um, it, is it uh, for a drama project or, or factual? There's two, actually. One that's uh, I've done on um, a, a book on an, uh, an 18th century Irish brothel keeper, mm. um, and one um, which is, is that would be the drama, and then there's a factual one which is um, about Hitler's uh, Island War. 
I mean, in a very cynical way, stick Hitler in the title of anything, somebody will buy it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah. make me feel good inside, but that's yeah. Hitler's big bridges and, you know, yeah. all Nazi monsters from history. Uh, there are specific companies who really do an awful lot of, um, you know, Second World War-based programmes, and uh, targeting them specifically would be, uh, you know, there, there are people clamouring to make more programmes with Hitler in the title. God bless them. So it's, it's, it's almost like, there's almost like, I mean, you know, on Channel 4 on any, any given week, we probably have a show about Hitler on the telly. And it's about seeing the people, that, the companies yeah. that make that and sending them your idea. Because you can't pitch directly to a broadcaster. You have to go through an independent production company. But it's about you finding out the independent production companies that have a track record delivering that sort of output and sending your idea. And I think the fact that you've got a published book, it gives you a head start, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. But it's like distilling that down into a page. But I wonder, is, does your agent know who to send it to in the television industry? Yeah, there's still that. Um, it's just getting, that, I, I suppose, yeah. you know, I mean, the, the treatment, I think, is fine. Otherwise, the agent yeah. would have sent it out. But there still seems to be this very insular um, barrier that TV production companies and um, BBC... I um, think this is... You know, I, I... I don't think, uh, I do have an in-house development team, so if people send me their treatments for programmes, I send them straight back without opening the document going, I can't look at this, I've got an in-house team, and I don't take ideas from outside. But I do take meetings with people who come via an agent, because it can just get very confusing. You're like, I'm developing a programme about property and interiors, Somebody from outside who isn't in telly sends me a programme about property and interiors. Then my mind goes on the telly, they go, but I sent you an idea about property and interiors and you've nicked it. You just, that's why Indies are really cautious about unsolicited uh, intellectual property yeah. from outside. But I, you know, on our website, I can't actually remember if it still says, it, we won't take unsolicited ideas. We will take them via an agent. So um, it is worth you perhaps doing a bit of research yourself and saying to your agent, literally, I need you to get me meetings with these three companies because they make exactly the right kind of programme. Yeah. I think it's actually meeting the people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah, rather yeah. Than yeah. And I think it's back to what the, the advice the panel gave in the beginning about having resilience. You just don't have to give up. I mean, you've just got to keep going. It's, you've got to be really tenacious in this industry. You've just got to keep going. Thank you. Thank you. Um, there um, hi, my name's Susanna and I work at a Broadcaster as a production manager and I work in promos at the moment and I'm wondering if you have any advice for, because I'm quite interested in long form and obviously there's lots of transferable skills, but how I sort of, what I could do to sort of maybe meet people in the long form side, factual or, or drama or comedy, anything, just to sort of get an understanding of what, what the difference is and how my skills could be transferred. What, what is it you... What... Do you want to stay as a production manager or are you looking to do something different? No, I would want to stay in production. I really like production. I've got great skills in production, obviously. So, yeah, working as a production manager, but in long form instead of short form. Well, you're probably... This is a good step being here. So, these sorts of events, I think there's some talent managers doing one-to-ones outside. Um, I think coming to these sorts of events is the perfect opportunity to find just the sort of people you want, you want to meet. I also think that if you're already inside a broadcaster, you should be trying to see who it is that does the stuff you're interested in and saying, look, can I come and find out a bit more of what you do, what you do and understand how my skills might be transferable? Yeah, slightly different. We're mostly acquisitions, but I work for NBC, so it's mostly acquisitions-based. So a lot of the long form is actually shot in America yeah. or yeah. somewhere else. I would say uh, my sort of spiel, like most people in telly, are nice. My God, most production managers are incredibly nice. They are... They make everything happen. They're incredibly nurturing. They're like their job is to be the glue in a team and connect to everybody. So if you uh, 
see, shows that you'd like to work on, when the credits come up and see who the production manager is, write to them, care of that indie, ask for advice, uh, you know, if it's drama production management that you'd like to do, it's, or, or factually, it is a different skill set and a different cast of personnel. But production managers are just nice, yeah. organised, they would make time, I and, think. Yes, and, and, and the gold dust, there's always a skill, yeah, there's shortage, a skill shortage in production coordinators, production managers, you know, good production managers are people that, that the industry want. And lots of people who do long-form things also have within their roster the requirement to do short-form things like trailers or funded developments or mm. tasters or casting tapes. So to offer yourself as somebody who I'm happy to take on your smaller projects while I, you know, work my way up to do larger projects, it's a skill set that would, would be very valuable and you'd find a good reception, I think. Thank you. There's a guy here, so I'll get this. Hi. Um, <clears throat> like you said earlier, a lot of jobs aren't advertised and uh, I find... Those jobs that are advertised often are, have very genre-specific uh, requirements. Um, and often these talent managers don't want to um, give the jobs to people who don't have that experience. For example, like rickshaws, they would only look for people who have worked on it or other things as well. Do you, do you find that kind of limits the potential for bringing up new talents into the industry? I, I do agree. I think it's, um, it's very, in my experience, it is very pigeonholed yeah. and that people do look for lots of the same experience. So they want to see credits on the same sorts of shows or they want to see that. So I, I do think that that is um, both a reality and, and an issue. And I think it, it can prohibit new people coming in. I absolutely agree with you. But I think it's about, um, you know, if you're targeting yourself for that type of show, what can you do to make the CV? have that sort of stuff on there. So I've dealt with lots of people that want to work in comedy, but didn't have any comedy production experience. But by talking about live comedy, maybe they've been involved in programming, a comedy night, you know, getting that sort of stuff onto their CV demonstrates their interest and, and desire to work in comedy. So it's about finding stuff that will, that will complement your CV if you haven't got the, the direct experience. So it's about targeting. Meet it head on. If, a, if you are passionate about working on, for example, medical programmes, but you haven't, don't just shove the CV in like the person reading it isn't going to notice. <laughs> Send a covering letter that says, I know that you asked mm. for people with medical programme credits only. I've got these credits, but my personal interest in medicine is this, this and this, yeah, or exactly. my, my wife's a doctor, or my mum's a doctor, or, or whatever it is. It's just, you don't like... Uh, it sort of feels irritating as if I've said you know, you need to be this tall to go on the rides, like they say at the fairground, and those people who are much taller than that are applying to think, oh, are you not listening to me? But I will always listen if somebody says, I know that you asked for X, yeah. I'm not X, but I'd really love to become X, and this is why I would be the right person for you to take it. And I'm, I wouldn't, it wouldn't guarantee that you'd get the role, but I th certainly might put you in the room to have a mm. meeting about the role, and, there, and if you're truthful that you've got a passion for it or that you'd really... Uh, you deliver, that's how I think you might buy yourself the opportunity to, you know, sell your business, as it were, at that point. Okay, brilliant. Um, I'm, I, I don't know where, we'll, we'll, everyone will get a chance. So. Uh, hi, this is for Vinny. Um, at what point in your career did um, getting an agent sort of seem to make sense? Um, and what's your relationship like with them? Um, 
So my agent found me through uh, my attachment to a theatre. Um, the thing I always say about agents, especially um, when you're a writer, is that at the point where you need an agent, an agent will usually find you. Um, <laughs> because like, when you're starting out, you, like, it, it's actually quite a long way into your career that you actually... Like, it seems like that, like the holy grail, the thing I really need to do is find an agent or like, I'm a failure. But like, I know plenty of writers who actually don't... You know, had got a couple of TV credits without an agent, which is like... Try not to do that because there's like lots of legal stuff involved. But it in itself is not the thing you would, should focus on. I think if the thing you really want to focus on is making those first couple of pieces of like those great scripts, and then once you're sure those are absolute the best thing you can write, then maybe send it out to agents. And um, the best piece of advice I ever got given was, don't apply for all the massive agencies just because they're massive agencies. Find someone who actually likes your work. So the reason I'm with my agent is because they looked at they. Th that play that I'd written, and I went in for a meeting, and they were an agent's assistant, and so it was nice at the time. It was the idea of they will build their career on what they love about my work, rather than you're on the list, and if those ten people can't do the job, then I'll punt you forward. And actually, like for my career, that's been super useful because they're really enthusiastic about me, which is like nice. But it comes from a place of they like my work, and rather than I need someone to represent me, it's like you need someone who likes you a lot and you can have um, quite a frank a relationship with. Um, but yeah, like don't don't worry about it is what I would say. Like it will just like focus on the work and then they'll come around. Because agents are always looking to find good writers. Like they're not like just going, man, I just just want the person who's going to apply for me. Like they'll find they'll find you if you just make the work. They really look at writing competitions, yeah. you know, a, a, events around, um, what's that, BAFTA comedy writing? Rowcliffe. Oh, yes, that sort of thing, BAFTA Rowcliffe. When they have their events, there will be agents there looking for people. So trying to get yourself into competitions and going to those sorts of yeah. events is, is useful. And I think asking other people about their experience with agents and, and who they've worked with. So I was very quick. So I know I'm talking about more about theatre, and I shouldn't because uh, we're talking about TV stuff. But like I spent a year, I did 12 short play nights, and I'm just because I didn't, I knew I didn't know any directors, I knew I didn't know any actors, and I wanted to know both of those things. So I made push myself to work with as many different people as possible. And occasionally, if you ask an agent, you think this is the best piece of writing I've ever done, they will come along. Like, probably not, but like, if you try and find an agent who you... So the reason I really like my agency is because um, they represented Andrew Arnold, who's from Dartford, which is where I went to school. When, um, I, and she turned Dartford and Danny Dyer into an Oscar-winning short film, which is the best thing. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, and I was like, I love that, and it's what I want to do. So I could talk about why I like the particular clients of that agency. And so, I mean, that's the other thing I would say is, if you do find an agent that you like and you like their clients, then you know that's the sort of person you can invite along to things, and they'll probably say no for the first couple. But like, you know, just keep writing and then look at who you actually want to represent you, rather than just assuming representation in itself is a good thing. Because I've seen writers' careers get absolutely blunted by just getting hoovered up by a big agency and um, leaving it as that. I'm afraid I've only got time for one more question. Uh, you have to be here, but you might be able to grab some of these people as they leave. So, uh, last question, this, the girl there with the arm up. This one. Uh, hi. Um, I am a researcher for a FACTENT programme. Um, I also live in Manchester. Uh, I'd quite like to make the move over to, I suppose this is for Daniel, um, to events and uh, live shows. Obviously, based outside the M25, that's proving a little bit difficult. I just wondered if there's anything that 
other than moving down to London for now. Um, if there's anything I can do sort of on my CV or just, you know, anything that I can do that can benefit uh, trying to make that move over. So what sort of shows do you work on now? Uh, I work on... Currently, I'm on a car restoration show um, that's sort of led by three presenters based in a workshop. Uh, we do a lot of location shoots and stuff like that. So... Well, the, the skills are the same, so it's, it's completely transferable skills. A lot of people in events um, have come from factual end type, type background. I, I guess it's just trying to develop the live experience and, and seeing if you can find any opportunity to do something that's, that's live, um, even if that's non-broadcast, you know, just an actual live event would be, would be great on the CV. Um, I, because a lot of the ceremonial events are London-based, that doesn't mean a lot of them are, are, are down here, but they are elsewhere as, as well. So I guess it's just finding those sort of opportunities, but it, the sort of stuff you're doing now is entirely relevant. Thank you. Okay. okay. I'd just like to say, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you very much all for coming, and thank you for all the questions. I'd just like to say thank you to our panellists, to Vinnie, to Helen, to Stephanie, and to Daniel. Thank you very much. Thank you.